Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today I'm joined by a returning friend of the show, Max, to chat about Garth Evans' 2018 horror thriller, Apostle, which is currently streaming on Netflix. How's it going, man? Glad to have you back. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. No problem. We had uh, such a such a great chat last time. I thought I'd bring you back. And uh, today we actually ended up picking a movie that has a lot of kind of stylistic similarities to uh, the ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I I realized that um, kind of halfway through I was watching. I was like, this is a lot like uh, not like uh, the ritual. And it's funny. I I remember we we mentioned um, like a talking point how it would be interesting to see the goings on of the village um, in the mm-hmm. ritual. And it seems like we kind of got that in, in the apostle. Yeah, definitely. Another type of uh, folklore, but from a different part of the world, but it looks like uh, the kind of like folklore is just as fucked up no matter where it is. <laughs> right, right, right. The, I think people take, uh, I mean, needless to say, I think people can take religion to a pretty dark place. Yeah, and I can't imagine it gets much much darker than this. Right, exactly. So, like, what were your like going into it? What what were your original thoughts? Like, what what kind of draw? Um, what what pushed you to suggest this uh, for me? So, I'm usually I'm usually not a big kind of like period piece person. Like, this time period doesn't usually do a lot for me. Like, for those who don't know, uh, Apostle takes place in. 1905, I think. And it follows uh, Thomas Richardson, who's played by Dan Stevens, who's uh, attempting to rescue his sister, Jennifer, who's been taken hostage by a cult that's basically on an island somewhere off the coast of, I believe, England. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, it was the way that uh, Garth Evans really kind of blends the period with folk horror, Mm -hmm. but also the just there's kind of like a survival element almost to it at some points. Um, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and did you ever see the Raid films, Mm-mm. the martial arts movies? Mm-mm. So those are the movies that um, oh, Evans is, that, is known for. Is that the one where it's like a he has to go up the tower? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those it's about like a, a squad. Of, yeah, the squad of police that have to like ascend basically an apartment complex filled with bad guys. Right. Um, and so he kind of made his name off of those movies for being just like over the top violent in a way that not a lot of martial arts movies were right um so i kind of gravitated towards this movie just because of his involvement it was something that i had never seen him undertake before Mm -hmm. um and to see him kind of take a lot of those different qualities from the raid movies like the intensity and the kind of brutal violence and apply it to a whole nother genre Mm -hmm. was what really intrigued me at first um for you though i'm interested uh, were you a fan of kind of like the take on folk horror yeah. in this compared yeah. to maybe something like The Ritual? Uh, I think this was definitely uh, more involved in the folklore. Um, I believe, you know, the mm-hmm. first hour and a half of Ritual, it was more of the guys and and they slowly kind of found out um, what's going on. But since the beginning of Apostle, um, they just jump right into it. Um, the the main character I forget his name but he Thomas Richardson yeah Thomas Richardson he goes into he goes on the island knowing that it's kind of a cult um, he knows mm-hmm. he's gonna have to 
pretend to be some sort of religious person or trying to find um, this religious experience. I liked it. I, I liked how they wrote it in. Um, I liked how the goddess actually was real and um, mm. she wasn't so much controlling everyone like uh, Loki's son was in, in the, uh, the ritual, but she was more, mm. you know, like they said, kind of a, a prisoner herself. Yeah, that was a really great twist on it and something else like I'd seen this once before and I forgot a couple of key details like that in that it's more about even though there is this perceived like monster on the island at, at the heart of the movie, like the emphasis is on that, like man is the greatest monster out there right, and this right. idea that just because there's a supernatural being at the end of the day, like man will still kind of manipulate things, whether mm -hmm. it's human or otherwise to like their will. Um, but in terms of like the very beginning of the movie, I'd agree. Dan Stevens really impressed me, his character with just before we even get to anything supernatural, he's a character that's intriguing that you kind of want to know more about not mm -hmm. only like why everybody assumes that he's, de he's been dead, mm -hmm. but also just the way that he's able to kind of like infiltrate the Island. Like right. when they're waiting in line to board the boat, he notices that his ticket is the only ticket in line that has like a red marker on it, which mm -hmm. without even knowing the reason behind that, he just knows it's not a good sign. So right. he just swaps it with somebody else in line right. basically to see what will happen to that guy. Yeah. And, and the ways in which he kind of tries to throw off suspicion, mm -hmm. like, like you had said, it's supposed to be like infiltrating this religious cult. And when he's on the boat, this one woman says like, oh, I haven't seen you at prayer groups before. Mm -hmm. And he kind of just very quickly knows exactly what to say to kind of like cast aside suspicion. Right. Uh, yeah. His, his character is interesting. He, he seems, when I first saw him, uh, he looked like a, a hobo. You know, he, was, he, was, yeah. he wasn't clean shaven. Um, and he gave off this aura of the kind of degenerate uncle, you know, the one, the black sheep mm -hmm. that no one really could trust. Um, and it turns out he's kind of a con man. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe that's his uh, his profession or how he's able to survive. Um, I don't know if you mm -hmm. noticed him taking what I would assume was morphine, um, given mm -hmm. the um, time period and what the capsule was and everything like that. But yeah, it was it was impressive to see him kind of worm his way into the cult, and then that scene where he almost gets caught, um, how he kind of survives by the skin of his teeth. And I mean, at that point, you know, there's a goddess on the island. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I, I kind of felt like she was already kind of influencing him there. I don't know if his survival was entirely up to his skills. I mean, he definitely has some mm -hmm. good skill set. But um, how, what, what do you think the goddess, like, what do you think her influence on his survival was? Because I had some thoughts about that uh, as well. Uh, yeah, so I think I think it's something that I didn't think about the first time at all, and it's definitely something I paid attention to more mm -hmm. on a rewatch. This idea that really you're taking into account that we and we learn about his background about why he has no faith anymore, and mm -hmm. like again, there's a lot of different things about his character early on that are intriguing that you want to learn more about. Like mm -hmm. why is he taking essentially what's morphine? I would assume too. Or why does he have a, a massive scar on his back of a cross? Mm -hmm. And like those little things that kind of just, they make him his character more intriguing when you get to the bottom of it. And I think that that is what, and we learn obviously that he was part of, I think he was part of like a religious group that was in China, I believe. Yeah. And 
like they were trying to, they were essentially like missionaries mm-hmm. and the people there rejected the missionaries and they started executing them. And then they branded him as a result of that. So his loss of faith, I think is what makes him the perfect candidate for the spirit on the Island to essentially have an influencer to manipulate him into essentially killing her for, which is what she wants in the end. Right. Um, I think that's a big part of it. And we definitely get an indication that she's uh, handpicking him to be the one that eventually will kill her and release her mm-hmm. or free her from her shackles um, when they're at church. And he looks out the window and he can see her. Mm-hmm. And generally, like nobody else in the church can, it's not ever explicitly explained whether other people can see her, mm-hmm. but the only other people that ever really get to see her during the course of the movie are the prophet Malcolm and um, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think kind of like her revealing herself to him early on is an indication that she wants him to kind of like go down the rabbit hole, so right. to speak, in terms of like investigating and finding her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I thought as well. Um, because she does seem to be reaching out to him through most of the movie. Um, and it seems like almost putting, <clears throat> putting certain people or I don't know, I don't know how strong her influence is on the Island and the people on there, but mm-hmm. it seems like she's kind of putting people just enough in his way to keep him going. Um, mm-hmm. cause I don't know if you remember the scene where he almost gets caught, but you know, they all were reciting these specific verses and then the guy right in front of them is you know the mole the government mole uh mm-hmm. and so i i don't know if i me just being a cynic and being skeptical and, and taking apart the movie like oh that's a great plot device but also you know as i continue to watch the movie things just kind of are too perfect and you know people are influenced and, and it's clear that this goddess has an influence on malcolm and i think the what was the crazy one named frank um uh the violent one? I think so. Yeah. 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 And he... Uh, uh, Frank is the one with the son, I think. Oh, um, uh, okay. But anyways, yeah. I'll, I'll remember his name in a minute. Right. Uh, but yeah, at any rate, it, it seems... Um, yeah, Quinn. I like... Quinn is the crazy one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how things just really work out for him in that, like you said, he's kind of this perfect um, person to be there because he's lost his faith, so he can't really get tempted by Malcolm. Uh, he can't mm-hmm. get influence. He can't get pulled into the church. He, and so he already goes in skeptical of religion. And so that allows He's him. the only one that's Im- impervious to uh, Malcolm's bullshit, basically. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so what did you think about, uh, what was it, Gwen? Uh, was it Glenn? Glenn. And, and the dynamic between the three... Um, "Quote unquote prophets." Yeah, so I I like that dynamic, and again, it's something that I appreciated more. And you just kind of see the dichotomy between the three of them. Mm-hmm. It is very much kind of like the perfect storm in terms of they think that it's a good idea to like break up and divide the power mm-hmm. of the island essentially between the three of them. But then in doing that, one is invariably going to become drawn to the power that another role has, and it probably wasn't going to be Frank because Frank is basically the ferryman. Mm-hmm. So as soon as Quinn realizes like Malcolm's not going far enough. And we learn at the end of the movie when uh, Quinn begins to like monologue about how really he is the one that has been pushing the goddess to do more and more for the Island. 
And he says even like he was the one that decided they were going to stop feeding her animals and she needed like human blood Mm -hmm. and human sacrifices, those kinds of things. It's kind of like the perfect storm for him to become drunk with power, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that just kind of plays into the cult angle in a really interesting way and how this division of power ultimately one becomes more jealous of the other and vice versa and whatnot. Um, And it kind of just it fuels the emphasis that the film has on kind of giving us the lay of the land in terms of how the community exists and how it develops, which I think mostly helps the narrative, especially since the first half of the film is pretty light on scares or horror elements. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it kind of, again, it expands that to a point that it almost becomes a little tiresome. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how you felt, but I felt that the first half of the film could have had a few more kind of sprinkles of horror moments in it. Like we have that one moment where Thomas is uh, swapping out. He notices that people are leaving vials of blood outside of their doors every night, which we learn is people are basically like bloodletting, which the blood then goes to the goddess uh, in the hope that she'll bless the land or whatever with crops. Mm-hmm. That isn't uh, that she's not doing for whatever reason. They don't understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he spills some of the blood on the floorboards. And then we see her underneath the floorboards, like trying to slurp up the remnants that he spilled, yeah. which is gross and kind of just like, again, OK, this is very much a supernatural movie. Mm-hmm. It's just getting to showing us all the supernatural elements takes a little longer than I'd like. How do you feel about the pacing? Uh, I, yeah, I would agree. Uh, now that you said something, I, I would agree. Um, I believe that I was more focused on the interactions between um, Thomas and everyone else because it's, it seems like the, for the first half of the movie, it's more like a, a spy infiltration film. And then, mm-hmm. then it's like kind of sprinkled in a little bit of the supernatural aspects. And so, yeah, I, I would agree with you that it, uh, it could have used a little bit more of the goddess, seen her influence a little bit more um, mm-hmm. to more or less remind the audience that it is, in fact, a horror film and not, um, a, you know, search and rescue or, you know, an infiltrate and rescue type of meal uh, movie. But I think it then goes pretty quickly from there. Um yeah, it, it, it kind of explodes in that second it, half. Yeah, yeah. When he when he's trying to find that that cabin where the goddess is, and he falls in that ravine, or he hides in the ravine, um, mm-hmm. swimming through a river of blood. Uh, I would assume <laughs> it looked like to me. And, yeah, and I was like, all right, well, this is gross, but you know, let's see what happens. And then, um, you know, she she chases after her, her avatar. I guess chases after him in that in that stream and. And he starts to figure out what's actually going on in the sideline. You know, in that, bringing up that scene after um, talking with you about the movie, I think, and just focusing on like her influence on him. Initially, that scene when she appears in that, whatever you want to call it, the blood river, um, and she scares him. It's almost initially I was like, yeah, she's going to try to eat him or kill him or whatever she's doing on the island. Mm -hmm. But since you mentioned it, like this idea that she's been trying to influence him from the beginning to do her bidding, basically. Right. It's almost as if she was pushing him through that. She appeared for the sole purpose of pushing him through the blood ravine to the hieroglyphics that we find, which basically explain her origins and everything. So, again, that could be I don't know if that's me reading too much into it, but that's kind of another layer of her pushing him in the general direction of what she ultimately wants him to do in that 
hey, I need somebody to kill me because this is not what yeah. my life should be like. I'm being held prisoner. Yeah. This is the one person that shows up that has a lack of faith on this island full of, uh, put it, to put it nicely, people that are drunk off of religion. Yeah. Um, and he's like the perfect candidate for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, I, that, that actually makes a lot of sense because uh, when I saw it, and that's, and that's actually what I thought, I was like, why is she... I'm like, oh, he's going to die or, or he's not going to die, but he's going to get really, mm-hmm. really close. Now, how is this yeah. um, going to play out if she is showing, her, you know, is she going to try to possess him? Is she going to try to, how, how is she going to going to control him or, or how is she going to harm him throughout the rest of the movie? You know, because she comes on pretty aggressive and she doesn't seem like a benevolent spirit that the, um, you know, the three prophets, are, are making her out to be. Um, there's definitely that dark side of her, you know, with the blood and with the sacrifices and, and the almost militarized regimented way that they run the cult. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they have a curfew, they have that, you know, police force, they kick the crap out of that one guy who has the, I don't know if you remember the, the guy he swapped his card with, um, they, they, they beat the crap out of him. You know, they beat him to death. and um, Or they end up sacrificing then, him to the goddess. And then slit his throat. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that, I think that's a, a horror aspect that I wasn't, I don't know if I say I, I wasn't expecting it, but I was more, I was surprised at like how early on they, the, the director showed the darkness of the island. That's a good point. And I think that kind of has to do again with some of the uh, pacing issues that we kind of talked about a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of, I think it definitely reveals a little too early just how sinister the cult is. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, since it's stretched out over, I think it's two hours and 15 or 220 yeah. uh, runtime, it does feel like it's revealed quickly and then it's not brought up again for a little bit. Like we don't really see any overt violence for a little bit after that. So I think just in terms of the pacing and then, I mean, I think my biggest issue with the pacing too is the amount of time that's given to the teenage couple mm-hmm. that's in love. Like we get a couple of scenes of them just like fawning over one another. And it's one of those things where it kind of draws away. Atten- I know that it obviously it, it leads into the uh, conclusion, which again, like talk about exploding in the worst way possible right, and right. turning the, cult, the dichotomy of the cult upside down. But I feel like we get three or four instances of the two of them kind of like pining over one another when that kind of just detracts from uh, Thomas's mm-hmm. wanting to like find his sister, fi- rescue her, figure out the mystery behind the island and whatnot. But uh, for me, one of the th- uh, uh, to flip that on its head, the pacing really does a good job of in the second half kind of just tapping into Evan's penchant for like really extreme violence yeah. in a lot of ways that is almost shocking towards mm-hmm. the end of the movie because there was so little of it early on. Yeah. Like there's the scene when Malcolm's going to get assassinated by uh, basically like an operative from the British government and the guy gets skewered with all those spears. And it's such a gnarly moment that essentially comes out of nowhere. Right. And it just kind of like reminds us that like, Oh yeah, this is very much a movie with filled with people that have no qualms about doing mm-hmm. like, unbelievable amounts of bodily harm at a moment's notice. Right. Right. And I think, you know, the one scene that like 
Well, I guess, yeah, one scene that sticks out for me is, is, um, that kid's trial. Um, when, Mm -hmm. when, uh, Quinn kind of, he, when he finally snaps those, I think those two scenes where Quinn against essentially stages that coup takes Mm -hmm. over. And from there, it was just, it went from zero to a hundred. And I think, uh, Personally, I think the director could have cut out, you know, 45 minutes of the movie and moved that scene up. And I think the pacing would have been a lot faster, but we wouldn't have had um, two or three, you know, uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes of the the three leaders kind of looking for the mole, figuring out who he is. And then Thomas also kind of um, figuring out the backbone or the anatomy of the cult. Um, like you said that the, I can, I can see the relationship of the, the teenagers kind of spacing out the movie a little bit. Um, so it's not just Thomas looking around the Island and it's not just the three looking for Thomas to kind of give us mm-hmm. a break. Um, but I mean, I, like, like you said, I could have done maybe two or three love scenes, you know, gotten, gotten to know the characters a little bit more. Uh, maybe develop that teenage relationship so it makes that of course you know like it makes that conclusion of essentially the lobotomy um that yeah. much you know because i kind of felt for the, the teenager but yeah that it, that is a good point in that focusing on their relationship as much that lobotomy the lobotomy scene basically like has that gut punch element to yeah. it where it's this poor kid who just like happened to fall in love with the wrong girl right uh and i mean Coming to a coming to a cold island with his father wasn't a great decision again, but yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> it's, a, it's a byproduct of that. Yeah, I mean, who who could have seen it? You know, shit hitting the fan <laughs> that bad, you know. But um, yeah, it, it was. I, I do think the director could have cut out um, twenty thirty minutes of, of searching and and kind of tightened yeah. it up a little bit. But I, I don't know. All in all, I thought it was a great movie. Um, what what do you think about just overall, the relationships, did you believe the characters were um, sincere? Or do you think they're more of, uh, like almost caricatures of these um, either villain archetypes or just character mm-hmm. archetypes in general? I think for the most part, they were pretty good. Um, I think I like that the dichotomy between the three original founders, is, each of them is very different, yet they all are kind of steadfast up until a certain point in their mission with the island and whatnot. But then again, it's like anything. Everybody starts out with the best of intentions and then you end up killing a kid and your daughter and all this stuff that kind of just destroys everything. Right. Um, I think in terms of like Thomas and his sister's relationship, it would have been nice to see more interaction, like genuine interactions between the two of them. Obviously, she's missing for most of the movie, but even in the scenes when they're together, there isn't a whole lot of convincing interactions like for their uh, love for each other and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a testament to Dan Stevens performance in that his character is so driven and yet we're not given any sort of flashbacks of like him with his sister or a lot, just a lot of genuine interactions between them to begin with. It's more just the way that he carries his character and the kind of unwavering determination, I think does a really good job of, selling us on his uh, plate essentially to like finding her, rescuing her, 
mm-hmm. and burning down an island in the process. Right. Um, but to take it back to a second to the lobotomy scene that you mentioned, I think that is a perfect scene that kind of captures Evan's penchant for not only just violence, but like the fact that his style can be applied to any genre. Because mm-hmm. something about the Raid movies, and he, did you ever see VHS? By the way, that is, it's a random side. So that's like a horror anthology where I think it's like five mini stories in one movie. Mm-hmm. So he did a segment in that. So that's like where he kind of like got the bug for horror and whatnot. But that was a short. That wasn't a feature film. And to see him follow that up with a horror feature film is really awesome to see like him taking certain skills that he has and applying it to all of these different genres that are right. amalgamation basically of different genres. Um, and I think that purification table scene is really indicative of that because it's not just gory for the sake of being gory. Like you don't even see the gory bit until the last five or 10 seconds of the shot. Yeah, You know how it builds up and how it, it focuses on them kind of strapping him down, each of his limbs down mm-hmm. to the table. And then you get that really cool uh, spiral shot mm-hmm. that starts at his feet. And then the camera starts to spiral towards him. So it starts to turn. And I just love that he made such a simple scene, very unique, like presentation wise. Yeah. And then obviously we don't see the drill until the ver- until it's too late, essentially. Right. So he kind of does a great job of like putting the viewer into the shoes of one of the cultists that's like standing around the table. Because mm-hmm. uh, something that I didn't realize before is that you literally don't see the drill until... I think the last 30 seconds of that scene and he, he's already started to drill it. Yeah. And just the way that he's able to kind of present this unique horror in a way like that, that isn't, it's grotesque, but it's not, um, it doesn't kind of like linger on it. Right. It's just, it's very much like builds suspense, has its grotesque moment and then just moves on to the next thing mm-hmm. being like, we get to see the goddess and a whole nother house of horrors basically right. in the woods. But his ability to kind of just like, jump around from these different ports and capitalize on each little story beat that he does, I think is really, really a testament to like his talent. Right. I, I think that scene, um, yeah, I, as you mentioned how the scene was built, uh, I, I, I definitely agree that like in a film and horror films, uh, they tend to focus on the, the machine, the weapon itself instead of the people around it instead of the victim i think they focus on the victim um the victim's pain and so and some horror films like the director would have done a close-up shot of the back of that kid's head and the drill you know cranking through it but you don't see it you see um you see quinn straining you know you hear the you hear the bones crack you hear him straining through you see the people in the background um averting their eyes and then, you know, he, he crunches, people come, like, what'd you do? Pulls the drill out. Mm-hmm. And then at, at that very, you get that quick snapshot of the hair and bone in the back of the kid's head. And then it, it cuts away um, to the audience, uh, you know, audience of the, uh, of that ritual that, you know, lobotomy. And I felt that was more powerful because it did not focus on the actual drill itself it focused on the whole thing it focused on what it was and it was you know this cleansing ceremony yeah and capturing the audience reaction 
and kind of focusing in on like the sound, like you said, the mm-hmm. sound of the bone crunching mm-hmm. and whatnot. And like him grunting and having to like physically exert himself to turn that drill and whatnot. It really does uh, capture this idea of like, it's more about it. Nothing is scarier than what the audience can make in their head kind of thing where it's mm-hmm. like, We've all so by the time we've been thinking about how grotesque it is, and then we get a brief glimpse that kind of reinforces like this is as gross as I thought it was going to be, yeah. and then it cuts away immediately, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel kind of gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous. Yeah, it really does leave a lasting impression in the fact that he doesn't linger in that moment; he just moves on to the next thing. And as we see when uh, Thomas finally finds the cabin or the shack where the uh, the queen is being held or the spirit is being held with her like baghead minion yeah i don't know who's what not that given was. any story who it, it kind of do you ever see silent hill uh no but you're talking about pyramid head yeah i'm talking yeah. about pyramid head that's what that reminds me of a little bit this idea that it's like this guy that walks around with no shirt on and he's got whether it's a pyramid cage on his head or a bag on his head uh, just kind of like captured that this guy that is never explained Mm-hmm. And yet he's so terrifying just in everything he does. Like he just basically exists to serve this twisted reality that he's become a part of. Right. And then we find that he also not only like feeds the queen with the funnel where he just like dumps chunks of flesh into it, but yeah. then he's also in charge of the meat grinder that they uh, strap Thomas to, right. which is almost as fucked up as oh, the uh, yeah. the purification table. Yeah, that was that was rough. <laughs> I know, and I was, and that was a truly suspenseful moment, um, because I, I knew that Thomas was going to get out just because mm-hmm. he's a he's the main character, like he has to. But the my main concern was how much of him was going to be left, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so right. you know, luckily it only took off a couple fingers, um, but still, it was just it was a rough scene. It was a very rough scene, yeah. with, and and the hooks. And, you know, luckily they got Baghead, you know, hooked him in the face and then pulled him in. But um, I would have – so, so for me, Baghead was kind of – I liked him, but I didn't like him. I, I like how he was written because I knew nothing about him. He showed up, he did the dirty work, and then he left. Um, but I also – my curiosity, especially how he tied in with the folklore – I would have liked to know, mm-hmm. was he, you know, a former cultist? Um, did he kind of spring out of the ground? Was he part of a ritual that summoned him? Like what, how did he tie in to the goddess and why was he so loyal to the cause? Because it seemed like he didn't touch um, the three main guys. He seemed like he almost mm-hmm. was working for him. Um, but, you know, he had no problem killing and grinding anyone else. So, Mm-hmm. what was his relation to the goddess? Uh, I mean, he was obviously a servant of the goddess, but he seemed like more of a servant to the main three, or as it turns out to Quinn, um, you find out later yeah. on. Yeah. So I, th- I personally like that we don't know much about him because again, nothing is going to be as disturbing or creepy as we kind of create the narrative for him in our heads. This mm-hmm. idea, like, is he being, manipulated to do these things is he just that devout was he kind of like part of that honor guard that the three original founders have those basically like the police that mm-hmm. police the island and they are obviously if they're going to be the police they're like the most diehard supporters 
So is this guy even another level of a diehard supporter? Or is this somebody that the queen has kind of influenced in a way that has corrupted his mind to the point that he basically is just like the butcher for her, mm-hmm. um, which I enjoyed. But I think at the end of the movie, yeah, we find out like Quint, he's easily manipulated because he is eventually just like does uh, Quinn's will mm-hmm. because Quinn is the one that is the most devout in the end to the goddess herself. Yeah. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to kind of feed her to the point that she lets the island become prosperous again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that we're not given a lot of information about Baghead for me, I think actually makes him a stronger character given how little he says. And um, right. we only see him serving and grinding up people essentially, yeah. which um, kind of just the primal nature of his character is super disturbing to me. And in not having that explained, it just, it makes me kind of my kind of just run wild with possibilities for things that in the end, if they explained it, it probably wouldn't be that as complicated as you would think it is Mm -hmm. or that varied. It would just probably just be very kind of baseline. This is why. And then kind of loses the mysticism behind it. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with that. Um, it wouldn't be he wouldn't be as powerful of a character if you uh, if if you knew like he was a person who was corrupt. If you gave him any sort of humanity, I think he mm-hmm. wouldn't be as terrifying. Yeah, wouldn't be as strong. Before we uh, before we jump into the the last minute, uh, the last uh, scene of the film, was there any other moments in the movie that really stood out to you? Um, I, not really. I think that. All in all, um, a lot of it was kind of a search and rescue type of movie. And I, now that you mentioned that it's the same director as The Raid, I think there are a lot of parallels to The Raid as there were to this movie. Um, but none that none that really come to mind. Do you have any that, that you know kind of stood out? Just again, like the the uh, I'm not a fan usually of like period pieces, but. Evans really is able to kind of like capture the grittiness and the dirtiness of that era. Yeah. Like from them birthing, like there's that scene where one of the, I think it's a sheep or a goat is giving birth. And then Quinn is just like pulling out the fetus and it's like all, all mangled and just wet and disgusting. And it's like, whether this was a supernatural movie or not, like he's, he's able to capture kind of just like a reality of that period. That just is very, it's unnerving to me whether it is a horror movie or not, just because of like how unclean everything is yeah. and just like the griminess of that era. And that was just like a part of their lives. Yeah. And then on the, the other end of that, that applies also to the violence. Cause in the end of the movie, we see how Quinn gets killed and not only does he get stabbed in the chest, but then he gets pulled while Thomas is basically gutting him with that knife. And it's right. just, it's another layer of to the violence that makes it like, it gives it a sickening quality to it that not a lot of directors at this point really have that effect on me just because, I mean, how many times can you see somebody get stabbed with a knife in a horror movie? But yeah. he just manages to take it to that next level and just make something very simplistic on paper mm-hmm. be that much more disturbing and stick with you. Yeah. That's just a talent of his that is, it's nice to see him be able to apply that again to like other genres. It's not just because that was something he said in an interview actually where he after the raid movies, they were super successful and he enjoyed making them, but he didn't want to be kind of like typecast as like the action movie guy. Yeah. 
So to see him take a lot of the qualities from those movies that made him famous and gave him success into new genres. I mean, for me, it happens to be horror. So like, I'm extra happy about that, but it's just nice to see his skills are applicable to something other than just action movie, A, B, C, D, and so on. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, something that I was thinking about, um, is, did you, do you think there's any sort of analogy or comparison or even, um, maybe a head nod to how, you know, like this movie, how the cultists are forcing this nature goddess, goddess of the island to produce unnaturally. Um, because as you know, like the cycle of nature is, you know, life, death and rebirth. And so this goddess does feed off death, you know, to, in order to, um, you know, renew herself. And do you think that when Quinn found out that the goddess needs death to produce and, you know, trapped her and start force feeding her, um, these cadavers and these, you know, these people and these animals, do you think he took the idea of death instead of it being a part of nature to kind of, um, force fertilize the, this nature goddess? Because I don't know if you remember in the scene where, um, they first captured her. They like, they trap her and they force the, um, human blood or the animal blood, you know, Mm -hmm. into a funnel, make her eat it. And then all of a sudden she overgrows and she grows into, um, essentially what would be this cabin as a prison, you know, do you see parallels between that and how do, do you think the director was trying to draw parallels between that and, you know, modern society, or is it just kind of, um, kind of a gruesome way to trap nature, you know, and trap this goddess. You know, it's one of those things, I don't know if it was his intention, but that is definitely a parallel that uh, holds water, as we've seen, this idea of like overconsumption, overproduction, trying to live beyond your means. Mm -hmm. Because this idea, and again, it speaks to like Quinn's ultimate character flaw in that he becomes basically drunk with power by the end of the movie. Like he began out drunk on religion and now he's drunk off of this power. And I mean, he even says to uh, the boy before he kills him on the purification table, he's like, I wanted this. And it's not only just because like he just found out about the kid sleeping with his daughter. So it's a more sinister line because he says that not as a result of learning that it's more that he basically wants an excuse to start killing people to stage his coup, Mm -hmm. um, to have an excuse to do that. And so to see that logic be applied to the, the goddess and be, this idea of like overconsumption and overfeeding her to yield greater rewards, which would basically make his own power grow. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see parallels though to um, to just mod- to our life mm-hmm. and whatnot, and just like the condi- the state of our planet and the state of society and things like that. It's definitely a parallel that I think holds a lot of water. Right. And I think- but in terms of oh go no, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. So in terms of that final scene, what was your interpretation of that? Because we see Thomas can't leave the island because he's been basically mortally wounded mm-hmm. uh, and would just bleed out in the boat. Um, and then we see that Malcolm has survived too because he got shot and fell down the, essentially a mine shaft, but he survived. And then as he, Thomas is laying there bleeding out, we see that the roots start to grow into his face, much like the goddess. Right. Uh, so what was, what was your kind of interpretation of that? Um, 
because it ends ambiguously, but it's not really all that ambiguous. Right, right. And and um, I think before I say my, you know, part of my thought on that is that you see, you know, there's there for me there's a question uh, because I, I definitely started to draw comparisons between um, the goddess and the nature and and the renewal type of aspect, and maybe mm-hmm. uh, she wanted Thomas to burn her so then she could be reborn later on in the island. Um, you know, uh, but you see as, as a sister and, um, as Thomas's daughter, they're sailing away, the goddess explodes and just like a waterfall of blood. And, Mm -hmm. um, it was almost a, a a comedic, it, it was so much that is almost comedic. Um, but I mean, it's like a, it's basically her getting to, relieve herself basically of that pain that she's been holding yeah. for so long. Right. But it is a, it is very excessive in that <laughs> it it's is just so, this massive waterfall of gore and blood. And yeah. then you hear like her scream basically. Yeah. And she like blows up out of the Island. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe, maybe Thomas was chosen to be the new guardian of the Island. Um, or, you know, he could have just been, you know, assimilated back into, I think regardless of his role, you know, after the credits, I think he does get reassimilated and then maybe mm-hmm. Malcolm becomes a more enlightened um, priest or maybe he comes a new backhead. You know, what, what, what were you, yeah. what were your thoughts on that? Yeah. So the way that I interpret it kind of was like, yes, he was, or Thomas was basically brought to the Island and not brought to the Island, but he was influenced to essentially kill her, to free her. Right. But then at the same time, as a result of that, he ends up fulfilling her role. And now it is left ambiguous whether Malcolm, because he's basically replacing the goddess. It remains to be seen whether Malcolm has learned anything from this experience, because Malcolm is very reluctant to kill him at one point when Quinn tells him, basically, if you want to come back into the fold, you have to kill this intruder into our land and he can't do it. Mm -hmm. So and in seeing Malcolm being betrayed, it's interesting to try to guess whether he's going to like turn over a new leaf as it were and kind of start things over, but with a better perspective on how he would rule or is he going to fall back into those familiar trappings where he has a new God and then he's going to start to this idea of like wanting to reap the benefits of that to an extent that's well with well past his means essentially. So like, are we going to overfeed and have this overabundance of riches or are we going to kind of live in harmony with this deity? Mm-hmm. Um, the cynic in me doesn't find it very easy to believe that the leader of a cult is going to turn over a new leaf, but right. you never know. Yeah, I felt, but I felt Malcolm as a character, I don't think he was really on board with with the violence because when going back to the, um, when they, the, the guy with the red dot early on in the movie, with uh, Thomas trades his ticket. Um, every time someone gets murdered, uh, Malcolm turns away. Um, Malcolm and Frank turn away. And then Quinn is the one who, you know, faces it and usually has the blood on his hands. I mean, even when um, they gave birth to that lamb and it came deformed and it was sickly, Quinn pulled it out of the animal and then threw it in the bucket. Uh, like it was nothing. Uh, but Malcolm did turn away and, and I, I don't know. I felt like Malcolm was, um, 
he wasn't a very good leader because he was able to get strung along by Quinn, who was definitely the more dominating force. But yeah. I, you know, I and, I would agree that if he doesn't have those, if he doesn't have those exterior forces that are influencing him or are kind of reassuring him essentially through their actions that like the the ends justify the means basically mm-hmm. that kind of mentality maybe he will change his ways and whatnot um i guess i didn't read into it as much as, i just kind of read into it as that he doesn't have the stomach for killing yeah. and yet his character flaws is that he doesn't have a problem with other people doing his dirty work right for him. right 100 percent. um but yeah i mean again it's one of those things where i like that the film does end somewhat ambiguously. You don't get a definitive answer because enough groundwork has been laid into these characters throughout the film that Mm -hmm. it really is up for interpretation one way or the other. Like whether you think he would be able to work in harmony with the God, with Thomas as the God or whether he's going to exploit him again and kind of just this never ending cycle, which you could view that as Evan's commentary on religion as a whole, this idea that like every time they're going to issue some type of reform, eventually they're going to roll that reform back and fall into the old ways that were probably not beneficial to everybody. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I kind of want to see a sequel just to see what happens. <laughs> uh, I think the ending was, it was a good ending. I, there was plenty mm-hmm. of closure. Um, Thomas's mission was done. You know, there was some sort uh, um, and you know, Thomas died. Um, almost redeemed. I don't know if this was more of a redemption movie. I don't know if Thomas's mm-hmm. drive to save his sister was, um, for the love of his sister, but maybe it was more for him, you know, failing. So misery or not really failing his sense of failure with the missionary, you know, in China, um, mm-hmm. kind of obviously losing his way, losing his religion and not having anything besides kind of drugs to focus on. Now he has this mission. He succeeded this mission. You know, he died with a smile on his face. So mm-hmm. I think as far as the movie's concerned, I was, I was satisfied with the ending. And, yeah. you know, and, and there's, you know, hopefully, I mean, it'd be cool to see Tom as the, uh, Thomas as the Island God. Yeah. I definitely, this movie definitely made me want to see what else, uh, Garth Evans decides to do in terms mm-hmm. of like horror movies and whatnot. Cause I think he has a really even hand, in terms of balancing kind of like the cult uh, drama aspect to it with horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were a few instances, like we said, that could have been a little more streamlined or refined, but at the same time overall, yeah, I think this was a really good film to follow up talking about with you uh, after the ritual, because it kind of captures another aspect of woodland cults mm-hmm. and whatnot, and kind of like praying to a de- uh, demonic deity, not demonic, but like a monster deity yeah. in certain ways. Uh, so yeah, it was great having you on to chat about Apostle. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Anytime. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.